Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. Thank you, JJ, for that introduction. And I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world. Never Ever Give Up Hope is now in over 60 different countries. And that sends a message loud and clear that no matter where we are, who we are, where we live on this planet, we need the message of hope. We need to know that there are other people out there who have experienced something that we may have experienced or are going through, and they not only survived but overcame and became successful. My guests always have tips and tremendous stories and insights that each of us can relate to and appreciate and enjoy. And with me today is one of those guests. Her name is Ellison Hill. Ellison is an active blogger of, the name of her blog is Accidentally Ellison. She tells her story about her quest for a long-lasting relationship, which became a disaster. Now, I know many of us can relate to this on different levels. Ellison also shares her story to help women to understand relationships and how it affects our self-image and our perception. Because when we lose a relationship, we often all also lose self-esteem. Now, this is kind of interesting in that Ellison has been proposed to seven times. She's smiling. I can hear the smiling, <laughs> Ellison. She's been married twice. And divorced twice. Her blog is a glimpse into a world that has consistent, unimaginable pain, but shows that even in the face of when you lose love, and I like the way she words this, the shredding of your heart, there is still and can be happiness, hope, and love out there for everybody. So this is what Ellison is going to share with us today, and I really appreciate her coming uh, and sharing with us. Hello, Ellison. Hello, Carol. Thank you so much for having me. You're very welcome. So the first question that I want to ask you is, as a good old little American girl, did you dream of a life with a white picket fence with two and a half children running and playing in the yard? I most certainly did. I grew up in a uh, very normal, average family as a young girl, always dreaming of the big day, the wedding uh. day, the house, the kids, the dog, um, the whole thing was definitely um, part of my plan. But as we all know, you know, sometimes we have to go to plan B 
or C or D, <laughs> depending <laughs> on the situation. Okay, well, walk us through it and tell us what happened. And now we know what your dream was, which is not an unusual dream, especially in, you know, an era where uh, women were expected to get married and have children, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And um, so what happened? And tell us, let's start with what happened. Walk us through some of the some of your experiences, and then we'll talk a little bit more about how it affected you, et cetera. Okay, well, um, I was just about 18 years old when I got my first proposal. I had gone downtown for the holidays, and it was during the Persian Gulf War where you could write to a soldier for a dollar. They were raising money. And I thought, well, everyone in my family had been in the service, and the least I could do was write a letter, and I loved to write. So I gave $2, and I wrote two letters that I received one back. And it was from a Marine on the USS Wisconsin. And we started writing, I would say, about three to five times a week I would receive letters. And they were never anything more than me talking about basketball practice and, you know, how I didn't Uh like my mother or I wasn't allowed out this weekend. And when he retired his ship to Philadelphia, he asked if he could come visit. And he did. That was the first time we met. And when he left, he said, you're going to receive a package in the mail. And when you do, call me. I'm going to be in San Diego on my next base. So I did. And I opened the package and it was a ring. Oh, my word. And that's exactly what my mother said. That is exactly what my mother said. Put it back. And uh, so needless to say. How old was this guy? He was only about 22. Oh, okay. And um, needless to say, I said no. And um, we actually did lose touch after that. And um, quite a few years later, uh, once Facebook came around, um, I did reconnect with him. And he is happily married with three (laughs) children living in the Midwest. And I was very happy for him. Um, But that was the first time it happened. And it was definitely, for me, kind of a game changer in terms of I didn't really think I even did anything. You know, like sometimes you think in relationships, well, if I do more and I be more and I see them more, Mm -hmm. get the outcome I'm looking for. And I thought I didn't have to do anything. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's right. You didn't. I I think it actually gave me a little bit, um, I'll say courage and probably um, cockiness that I shouldn't have had Mm. years old. When I was 20, I um, wanted to be a star. And I went to school in New York City for uh, voice and musical theater. And I was so homesick for friends um, at the college I had gone to that I quit a month before my graduation date. And I moved back down to West Virginia. And a month later, I met the love of my life. Uh And we started dating. I'll give you the time frame. We started dating in February. Uh, Well, no, let's see. We met in February. We started dating in April. We moved in together in June, and I was pregnant by November. (laughs) So my mother used to say I never had patience for much of anything. I always wanted everything right now. Oh, I can I can relate. (laughs) And I and I got it. And I got it. So I had my first daughter, and um, while I was pregnant. 
father of my child proposed to me and I didn't want to get married. I knew at 21 that I could have a baby and I could probably raise a child pretty well. But I didn't know at that point, I didn't even know him. Uh. I spend the rest of my life with him. Well, needless to say, a Roman Catholic Italian family does not like to kind of <laughs> uh, go against the norm. So uh, under pressure, I agreed and we were married and we had my second daughter. And I guess we were married about two and a half years when I found out he was having an affair for almost a year of that. I have to say the feeling that I had that night that I found out was the same feeling foreshadowing 20 years later in my life that actually started me writing my blog. Really? And that was the feeling of helplessness. I felt 100% alone. I now had a three-year-old and an 18-month-old, and I was only 26, and I was going to now live my life by myself. It was really scary. It was really scary. Um, and I had a great support system, which is always uh -huh. is good to have, but it was really difficult. It was really difficult. We got divorced. Um, my ex-husband, my first ex-husband actually didn't even show up for our divorce hearing. He just tech, uh, he called me and said, let me know when it's over. And that is the kind of behavior I've lived with, with him for the last 20 years. And, uh, interestingly enough, he's probably one of my best friends. He has been pretty much an absent parent. I've had a hundred percent custody of my children, both, both of my girls since that day that we decided to get divorced. There's been many many, many challenges along the way. Of course. Uh, not just in the regular scheme of parenting, but as any, any single parent knows, finding a significant other uh -huh. that appreciates not just you, but your motley crew uh -huh. and how you handle them is really very, very difficult, at least that I've found. Uh -huh. Um. So that was number two. Number three, I don't even really consider much of anything. <laughs> and it's not even a story worth telling, but just trust me, there was a number three. So number four and five are the same person. And number four, uh, I started dating uh, after the divorce. And we were together about three years. And about two years in, he asked me to marry him. And I said no. And then about a year later... He asked again, but he did it at a surprise birthday engagement party in front of 40 uh. of our friends and family. So not only did he propose to me, but he proposed to my children as well. And I said yes. And that was actually October 20th, which is my birthday. And it's funny, after this proposal, I hated my birthday. I hated uh. celebrating it because it was the day that I said yes and everything blew up in my face. Um, oh. So not but a month later did he decide on Thanksgiving morning that he was going to leave me because his mother didn't like him, me and he wasn't going to choose between the two of us for the rest of his life. And we have now a family tradition because that, um, that holiday was considered ruined. We actually did a week later a... Um, uh, we did a redo of mm -hmm. Thanksgiving. Really? So now every year we do Thanksgiving and a week later we do it again. <laughs> <laughs> so that's our takeaway from that. So then number six, 
number six. Um, track. <laughs> I know. I, it's not easy. Number six um, was an older gentleman and much older than me. And uh, I, at that time, still wanted to have more kids. And he wanted to retire. And he didn't have any kids and had never been married. And although he thought getting married and buying a house would be a grand idea, which at the time, so did I. I was looking for stability. I was looking for safety. I was looking for so many things from someone else because I didn't know that I could find them in myself. And so I said no to that since he didn't want to have children. And I happened to have two. That kind of posed a problem. Mm-mm. And then number seven, number seven was a lifelong friend of mine. We were friends 22 years and we actually ended up being the last two single friends in a group of about 11. And we ended up going to every event together, um, people's weddings, their confirmations, Mm -hmm. birthday parties. And I would stay over his house. Uh, He would stay over my house. My kids knew him. And I never in my wildest dreams ever imagined being intimate with him whatsoever. And I remember one night we were at his house and we were watching Casablanca because he loved old movies. (laughs) Putting my hand up in front of my face, startled, saying, what are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? And he was like, what do you mean? What am I doing? And I said, you're about to make everything's going to change in this one second. And he said, I think it's worth it. Shortly after that, we started dating. Uh, Two years later, we moved in together. A year after that, we got married. And it was his first marriage and more of like his arrival party. I was kind of just the pretty trinket that kind of was there. But this was really all about him, his family. Um, And we got married in August. And by March, he had left. Oh, my goodness. And we were only married a short time. But what was very strange was is that at the time, he had uh, no communication skills, I realized. So every time we would get into an argument, he would leave. Now, his parents lived about a mile from where we were, so he always went there. And I can remember saying, the next time you leave, you can't come back. And I have been, in my story I talk about, I talk about being left all the time. In most of my relationships, I'm left. But what I try to take accountability for is that even though I've been left, There has always been a catalyst coming from me that has pushed the envelope over the ledge and to that point. So maybe had I not said if you didn't leave, if you don't, if you leave this time, you know, you can't come back. Maybe he'd have come back. Maybe we'd still be married. I don't know. But I knew at that point I wasn't going to live like that anymore and that it was going to be better if I lived by myself with my kids and found some substance in myself to lead a more fulfilling life and I think that last relationship that last proposal that second marriage really was more about me trying to fit a round piece into a square hole or vice versa 
I was looking to fulfill what I thought in my head I needed to be. I needed to be a nuclear family. Mm. That I was less than. I was looked at by my family as not accomplished because I couldn't hold a relationship, because I wasn't married with two kids and the picket fence like my sister was. And I think what what is really interesting and what has come out in a lot of my writing is it's not just significant others that change who we are throughout our lives. It's all different relationships. It's relationships with your parents, with your siblings, with your bosses, with your friends. Mm-hmm. Every person has a little bit of a hand in either taking away pieces of us, changing pieces of us, or enhancing pieces of us. Now, I didn't realize any of that until much later on in life. Now, my children are now um, 19 and 17, so it's been a few years that I've been a single parent. But during my older daughter's um, early teenage years, we were struck with um, severe depression, severe anxiety, and um, now, when you say we, you're referring I to? I see it as we, but it is my daughter. Okay. I say it as we because it affects an entire family. Okay. Um, but yes, my daughter was diagnosed with borderline personality, personality disorder, which inflicts self-harm. She's had multiple attempts at suicide. She had had multiple hospital stays, inpatient, outpatient, you name it, we've been there. Um, And she ultimately ended up um, in a group home for seven months. And a group home usually lasts about three. (laughs) But I believe my children, they're extremists in pretty much everything they do, both good and bad. And the reason it took so long was that every week I would go and I would have my family meeting and the directors would look at me and say, we just don't get her. She's one of the hardest patients we've ever had because on the whole, she's acting completely self-reliant, independent, Hmm. functional. But when you get into the nitty gritty of it, she was a mess and she was really suffering some really painful things that some were because of me, some were because of her father, some were because of mental illness runs in my family. Uh, It was kind of like a cocktail Uh, of strikes against her in that respect. When she finally came out of the group home, I was seeing a new guy and we had been together just about a year. And I knew that when she moved home, I couldn't live in the same town any longer. I couldn't have her around the same people Mm. because just like a lot of the other programs, it's people, places, and things. So I decided that I was going to look for a place, another place to live. When he offered up, why don't we move in together? Sounded like a great idea at the time. (laughs) So she moved home. We all moved into his big, beautiful house to which we put on a big extension and a pool with the fence in Uh. Oakland. I mean, it was everything I dreamt about. And then his two teenage daughters moved in with us as well. Then I lost my job. Then money got tight. Then he and I started fighting. Then he and I started fighting more. Then we stopped talking altogether. So now at this time, I'm an at-home mom for four teenage girls 
all with their own set of problems. My oldest one with borderline personality disorder, my younger one with ADHD, his older one with anxiety, and his younger one with an eating disorder. So we had our hands full. We had our hands full. And you know when life is happening so fast, you're just, you're almost reactionary. You're just going through motions to make sure you're getting through every day. And that's where we were living. We were living in that heightened state where you don't have time to think. You don't have time to figure out how you feel or what you want or where you want to be in five years because life is just coming at you too fast. So he had a bright idea that we should all go on vacation. <laughs> the six <Okay>. of us. <laughs> We should go on vacation. We need to relax. We deserve it. Everybody can just do their own thing. We could do stuff together. It'll be great. No one but him wanted to go. Everyone voiced that they thought it was a bad idea because the timing wasn't great. Mm -hmm. He was a very, very strong-willed man, and we all went. And needless to say that Vacation itself was okay. wasn't great. We had some arguments and some punishments and, you know, that type of thing. Uh-huh. It was okay. On the last night of vacation, he had to leave with his daughters because they were leaving for camp the next day. And I had the condo we were at for the weekend. And my older daughter says, I want to go up to the beach. I said, it's 10 o'clock at night. Bad things happen when you're by yourself. I'll be only an hour. Well, she didn't come home that night. And I thought she was being a snot-nosed 18-year-old because it was the day after her 18th birthday. And at 1 o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call that said she had been in an accident. But she didn't drive. So I'm thinking initially she met somebody, she got in a car, they were drinking, she got in an accident. Uh Come to find out, she was crossing the street directly in front of our condominium to be home on time when she was struck by a car at 45 miles an hour. Oh, my goodness. She had been medevaced to a hospital 40 minutes away from where we were, and all they said was, you need to hurry. And I had gotten so many calls with her in the middle of the night from police, from other parents, from schools, from her program. That it never dawned on me, even though they said, you need to hurry, it never dawned on me that she could die. And most people who hear me say that think that that's completely asinine. That's the first thing everyone would think. But I had been through so much with this Mm -hmm. child or so much with my own life that we always got through everything. So it didn't dawn on me that this could be it until we got there. And they said to us, we need to prepare you for what you're about to see. That's when I knew (laughs) this was bad. Mm. And at that moment, it's like your whole life flashes in front of your eyes. Was I a good parent? Does she know I love her? Does she know that I'd do anything for her, that I would trade places with her in a heartbeat? Um, Is she conscious? Is she going to remember this? You know, anything that you could think of goes through your head. And we walked into the um, emergency room and it looked like a scene from Grey's Anatomy. Hmm. There were 30 doctors, people on the phone, 
nurses, uh, rags full of blood all over the floor, and her in the center of the room by herself and a chaplain next to her. And I walked up to her and I said, it's mommy. And she said, this wasn't my fault. <laughs> oh, this my time, mom, it wasn't my fault. Oh. And long story short, she spent uh, six weeks. She was medevaced a second time and underwent um, quite a few surgeries and spent six weeks in a trauma center learning how to walk again. If you could imagine this, she broke everything basically from her, her sternum down, but there wasn't a scratch on her face. Huh. And uh, she never lost consciousness. She was in and out, but she never totally lost consciousness. Mm-hmm. And at the end of six weeks, we did two weeks at a rehabilitation center. And we were um, far away from home because we were on vacation. So I lived down there with her. And the man I was living with was insistent that I needed to come home. He missed us. We all needed to be home. Now, after eight weeks of being away, I had asked that the house be completely free of anyone. Because I didn't really know how I was going to be able to handle taking care of her. Mm Mm-hmm. Because she was uh, like she couldn't roll over or anything, um, so I asked that my daughter, my younger daughter, stay at my parents, and that his daughter stayed at either their mother's or his parents, just for a day or two, that I could get myself acclimated and we could get her situated. So after four days of being home, we started arguing. He emptied the bank accounts. He sent me a text message to get out of his house. And he threw us out. So I now was homeless, penniless, jobless, and I had a disabled child to take care of. We lived that way, going from house to house for friends that would put us up for a few nights at a time. Um, In between job interviews, taking my daughter to physical therapy, taking my other daughter to work for about six weeks. Hmm. And at the end of that six weeks, I found a job. And I thankfully got the employer to write me a letter because I wasn't going to start for another two weeks. But he wrote me a letter so that I could get an apartment because no one wants to give Mm -hmm. anyone with no job and no money and no address um, a place to live. So when I did get my apartment, the first night that I had it, that I signed the lease, I sat in the living room with my girlfriend and there was nothing in it. And I didn't really have all that much stuff because when I moved in with the last boyfriend, I had gotten rid of a lot of my stuff because we bought all new stuff together. But when I left, I just took some boxes, my Christmas decorations, our clothes, and three beds. And I looked around the house and I looked at her and I said, what am I going to fill this house with? And she said something that I think has changed how I view life altogether. She said, you're going to fill it with all the same things you filled every place you lived. You're going to fill it with your family. You're going to fill it with your friends. You're going to fill it with love. And you're going to fill it with memories. Hmm. And I have to say, from that moment on, is when I realized that life was not about (laughs) things. And it seems so simple, and people tell you that, but until right. you learn it for yourself, mm-hmm. you really don't get it. And I didn't get it. 
I never got it. And that's when I realized I could do this. If I could do this, I could do anything. And I have to say that I think on that day, um, there was a death. There was a death of the woman that I used to be. There was a death in the sense that that woman who so desperately needed to be in a relationship to prove my worth no longer existed. I had just embarked upon an entire new world and it was living life according to my rules, what I thought was best, what was best for my children and to find happiness for myself. Now, I fully believe in therapy and meditation and any avenue that helps you find your center and brings you peace and brings you comfort of any sorts. And I've been, um, I've been working with a therapist for a long time. And during that time, she gave me an exercise that I thought was very silly. And it was every morning, make a tic-tac-toe board and have nine boxes. And in those boxes, write nine things that you want to see during the day. Because a lot of times I think we go through life and we don't really see things. We don't experience things because we're moving so fast. And I would write down, oh, I want to see the changing of the leaves or I want to see the sunset or I want to, you know, see my children smile. And at the end of the day, you check off all the things you saw. And for the first week or two, I only saw like two or three things. And I was like, this doesn't work. She said, keep doing it. Then the next week would go by and I'd see four or five things. And then the next week would go by and I'd see six or seven things. And then she'd say, stop writing it down. Just do it in your head. And all of a sudden, the entire world started to look different to me. Mm. You know, I started to appreciate. I mean, there's there's a story about this tree. So where I when I got my job, there was this tree where I parked. <laughs> and it sounds very silly, but every day I would pass by this tree and I watched the trees leaves in full bloom turn to yellow, turn to orange, turn to the crisp <laughs> red, turn to brown and fall off one by one by one. And then through the winter, I would look at this tree and it was all barren and cold and its bark was shedding. And I felt like this tree, as an analogy, was much like me. At one point, I was flourishing and blooming but I had to get rid of all of that baggage that I had been carrying yeah. around for so long. And when the full year came around and that tree rebloomed, it sounds almost ridiculous for me to admit, but I felt like I was a new person at the same time. And I still pass by that tree every now and then. <laughs> even I passed my, uh, moved offices and I still look at it and I say in my head, hi tree. But I think when when I finally sat down to start writing, my blog starts with life changes when you've been brought to your knees. And whatever that means for you, it could mean the death of a parent or an illness or the loss of a job. And there's no big, small, you know, when life happens to you, it's big, no matter what it is. But I think that's where change actually begins. And I know that's where it began for me. 
I had to lose everything in order to realize how much I had. My family, my friends, my health, my children. I wouldn't have, I don't think that I would have been able to have written my story as raw as I write it if I hadn't experienced all of that because I wouldn't be viewing it from the same point of view. I wouldn't be able to give you really the inner workings. And my story is probably very similar to most people. And that's why I write it because it's to let other people know that they're normal and that they're not alone. So whether it's in relationships that go wrong, whether it's in life events that change you, loss, heartache, Now, I make light of all of my relationships because they've been disastrous. I am not good at it. (laughs) I fully admit you cannot be good at everything. And I'm good at a lot of things. (laughs) That's just not one of them. But also, when I look back, I wasn't the person that I am now. So the person that gets to be with me now is getting the best Mm -hmm. version of me And it's because of all of that. So instead of having my experiences make me bitter, make me pessimistic, make me think that, you know, there's nothing left in terms of ever having a relationship. Everyone's the same. No, they're not. Because you're not. At any given point in your life, you're not the same person. Lord knows I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago when I had my first daughter. So I think really... When you experience life or you look at it more as a growth or a journey, I think you can start to get more out of it. And that inner strength and that happiness and that place that you are so desperately looking for from someone else really can come from within you. And that's my story. And an amazing one it is. I had no idea, Allison, when I read your bio how you were going to touch my heart and I'm sure touch many others because it's your attitude and you do not have a pity me, feel sorry for me attitude. You have learned to look at life with humor, with hope. You carried this so well and it flowed so beautifully to share the story of love lost, of heartache, of heartbreak, of disasters, of problems with raising your children, problems with, of course, with relationships, that when your daughter was in that accident. I mean, all the emotions that people go through, uh, you express so well and so clearly. And I sincerely thank you for that. Thank you so much. Now, your blog, let's talk for a minute about that. So do you have a way to connect, have a connection with you? So right now, my blog is www.accidentallyallison.com. And I chose the name because based on my story, I feel like life had become a series of accidents. <laughs> and it it really was an accident to get me to be where I am and who I am. So I thought that was very fitting. It is. It is my chronological story, but you can pick it up anywhere. I also do a little thing I like to call (laughs) leftovers, which is outside of my normal storyline, just things that are on my mind, things that we go through on a normal basis that I write about. I love interactions, comments. 
Um, I currently am also writing for a myriad of websites, including Modern Mom, Your Tango, The Feminine Collective. I've written a lot of really kind of deep pieces for a site called Hasty Words, which really gets down to the the inner workings of, of your most raw feelings. I write about being homeless. I write about the accident. I write about um, the first time my daughter tried to commit suicide. And I also do public speaking events. So you can find me um, actually this May. I'll be in Philadelphia at the Diva Girl Convention talking about self-worth and how relationships affect it. And hopefully again at the Toronto one later this year. And basically, if anyone, you know, wants to contact me directly to talk, I'm um, more than happy to do that. I have done a couple of private sessions. Just, just, I have no clinical background. I am not a therapist by any means. I am more like a friend who has been through Mm -hmm. it, willing to listen and offer up advice of my own experience. And my email's accidentallyallison at gmail.com. Excellent. I know that people are going to want to follow you and connect, and I'll also have all these connections on your um, show notes, and so they'll be able to um, be able to connect with you in any level that they want, and that okay. be able to pick up your story and read it and take bits and pieces of what might apply to their own lives. Excellent. Thank you so much. I really <laughs> had a great time. I, I oh, appreciate it's been it. Wonderful. I really appreciate you coming on. So we'll have everything in your show notes. And including all of your contacts and to everything that you have learned. And that's what life is all about. It is learning experience. And you certainly have learned some life lessons and are willing to share them raw and open. No, I was going to say we'll be looking forward to uh, Accidentally Allison's first book, hopefully fall 2016. And we're looking forward to that. Thank you so much, Allison. Great. Thanks so much. Bye bye.